Welcome to the Daily Theology Podcast, episode number five. I am your host, Stephen Oki. Today's episode features Mike Avery's conversation with Jennifer Veninga. Dr. Veninga is an assistant professor of religious and theological studies at St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas. In this episode, she talks about her discernment of both academic and ministerial calls, including what it's like to be a United Church of Christ minister teaching theology at a Catholic university. They also discuss surviving the academic job market, what makes someone a good teacher, and Dr. Veninga's research on Scandinavian culture and theology. Thank you for listening, and please let us know what you think in the comments on iTunes or on the blog. Welcome to the Daily Theology Podcast. Our second interview of the day is with Jennifer Veninga, doctor. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's a beautiful day in Austin, Texas. I love this place. I love this university. I just got a tour from the campus ministers. You're so lucky to have all the the renovations, everything. It's absolutely beautiful. So one question I wanted to ask before we got into like the, the meat of conversation is, do you listen to any podcast yourself? You know, I uh, I feel like I, I want to be able to say yes to that, um, and maybe in the future I will, but I, I don't actually listen to podcasts. This is great. Father Lou is the same way. No <laughs> no podcasts. So you'll get to listen to this one, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not be afraid to listen to this and one. I won't. I won't. Podcast is something that uh, is just, it's a recent phenomenon, but it's actually very old, which is like a very hilarious, ironic conversation that they'll have on the internet. So the first thing, the fir- very first question that we like to ask is... What led, uh, led, le- what led you to the path of theology in general? What, 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 it, what brought you to this mm-hmm. vocation? Yeah, okay. Thanks, and I'm, I'm so happy to be here, and, uh, and I love your setup. So um, what led me to, the, to this vocational path? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because in our team-taught methods class that we have for our religious studies and theological studies majors, at the end of the semester, the faculty go around and we kind of talk about, uh, you know, like kind of what got us into this. And and some folks have a very circuitous kind of route, you know, they were a business major and then they did this and that. And um, I think in some ways, actually, my path was sort of straight, which is kind of interesting to me. But I... Uh, what do you mean by straight? Yeah, I would say that well, well, I'll tell you. I mean, I took so I went to college thinking I might major in, I don't know, international relations, maybe music. Um, and that's this is my only <laughs> this is my only thing that could have been really different is that I uh, so I play the euphonium, which is a, a low brass instrument. Not people. Not, not, yeah, I know. It's this cool. is already going it, so well. Yeah, I no, it this. is. I can you know. I, yeah, yeah, and I you know, there's more where that came from. So it's like it's, it's a small. It looks like a small tuba. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. So I was in love with this instrument, and uh, and I thought actually potentially I might major in music, maybe international relations. I don't know how I would have combined those. But I was also kind of interested in religion, um, just from some experiences I'd had as a teenager. But I went to Southern Methodist University. I took one of my first classes I took at the university was a class called Ways of Being Religious. I mean, literally, I think I by the end of that semester, I'd fallen in love with the study of religion. And I didn't yet know what theology was, but in time, I, I came to learn what that was. Yeah. What professor uh, was it? The professor or the uh, religious text that, that that just helped you to fall in love with it? Yeah. You know what? I would say it's both. The it's it's actually it's really it's kind of a cool story. The the professor that I had, who was also my um, undergrad advisor, his name is um, Dr. Bill Barnard, and uh, I know I'm supposed to call him Bill now, but even now oh. it seems it seems I don't know. Kind of I totally I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. So Bill, but at the time Dr. Barnard, yeah, his his area of interest is mysticism. He does a lot with Eastern traditions and um, spirituality, and he's just fantastic, and is also in love with the study of religion, and it was so inspiring and. The, the class was, it, I mean, I think it really gave me a whole language that I didn't, I didn't know it existed. And I, you know, all I could, I just wanted to get more. And that's, that's what I did. Fantastic. Yeah. Side note, was Charlie Curran there? While yes, you? he was actually. Okay, yeah, yeah, good yeah. to know. Yeah, Charlie Curran was um, there. Yeah. Did you, did you ever get a chance to have a class with him? Or? No, I didn't, I didn't take a, cl- I didn't take any classes with him. Um, but I did get to spend a little time with him through, I was on a, a scholarship, thankfully, um, at SMU. And because of that, I got to do a little bit of work and visiting with him. So I, that was oh, really great. Cool. I know. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. So you went to SMU. Mm-hmm. Are, are you a native Texan? Yes, I am. Actually. Okay, where are you from? I was born in the Dallas Fort Worth area in Arlington, Texas, to be exact. I 
grew up there for like a hot three three years. You and did moved oh. to Houston. Are you but kidding? Yeah, so yeah. I like, grew up in that area. Okay, right. yeah. So I, I uh, was born there, and then uh, my parents and I moved to Austin actually for a few years, and then Whoa. and then yeah, and they were working here, and then um, wait, your, your parents worked at St. Ed's? No, they didn't work oh, at okay. St. Ed's. They worked at well, actually, my mom. So but I'm a very I come from a very geeky family. All right, let's explain this. I know. So three, including me, three PhDs, all in the humanities, and my dad's field was uh, religious studies and history and my mom's is literature english philosophy you were you were made for this job i guess so but you know what's funny they never they never pushed me never you know said you need to do this and in fact my my dad of course he loved what he was doing but he said you know john i need to i need to warn you like i was in you know i was in school for over a decade like is this really what you want to do and so my my joke is always that you know if i would have rebelled i would have maybe gone to business school become a republican who knows what else but um that oh. would have been the form of rebelling but i didn't do it so um okay yeah sure. so my mom for a while taught at ut and then but my both of them uh worked at the texas council for the humanities which is um, now called humanities texas so my dad was the director of that organization and uh, that's why they moved here but then we discovered smithville texas and which is just 40 minutes 45 miles um, southeast of here and my my mom and i were driving through uh one day and found this little town and just thought it was so cute and then my parents sort of spontaneously said you know what it'd be fun to you know move to a little town and you know jennifer can grow up in a little town and that's what we did so that's where i grew up Great. Well, yep. does it, how does it feel to be back? It's good, actually. Yeah, it was really interesting because I, um, after SMU, I went to Harvard Divinity School and spent some time on the East Coast, and then I ended up moving to California right. and did my PhD in Berkeley. So, yeah, so my the job that I got was right back here in Austin. So SMU. Did you know right away you wanted to do graduate school? I did. Yeah, and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought. I, you know, I thought maybe a PhD, maybe teaching. I also thought maybe ministry, but I had other ideas too. But what I knew, <laughs> I knew I didn't want to stop learning and studying religious studies and theology. So I just said, I'm going to keep doing that and see where it goes. Why did you choose Harvard? Good question. I um, I applied to multiple schools. It, it, I was thinking about University of Chicago, Div School, and then, and then Harvard Divinity School. And... <laughs> and I happened to visit Chicago on a weekend or a week that was utterly freezing. Oh, I know that. I know. Yeah, I know you do. <gasps> no, nah, it doesn't sell well. No, not, and not that Boston doesn't get cold. In fact, that you know they had a horrible, horrible winter. But I don't know. There was something about that breeze off that lake. <laughs> But I, you know, I um, I was very attracted to the Boston area, and HDS does a lot of great stuff with. It's just a very diverse place, great. so I opted for that. What did you uh, during your MTS? Which mm-hmm. is, I found to be when I was looking at your CV, uh, I I knew that you're a minister, so I was like, oh, she probably did MDiv. MDiv yeah, you did MTS. I did, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. So explain, like, yeah, yeah, sort of why? Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, was that I didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I guess at the, <laughs> I guess at the time I was leaning more toward academia, and uh, and I thought I think I'm just going to do the MTS and sort of and feel it out. But <laughs> what ended up happening is that I got the MTS, and then I moved actually back to Texas and worked at SMU for a year in the chaplain's office. So oh, I kind of it was almost like kind of having a field placement for a year. And then um, when I was doing my doctoral degree, that's during that time is when I decided um, I really did feel also called to ministry. So then what I did was to take some more classes um, that would sort of round out my MTS into I don't have an MDiv still, but you know, I did some of the work that what, one would do. That's great. Did you did you go to GTU? For in a GTU, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, yeah, uh, did, yeah. you, did you go to California because you're just tired of the winter? Please tell me you're just like, you know what? Like California <laughs> is calling me. <laughs> Not just because of the winter, but um, but you know there was something alluring. I mean, California dreaming. There's a reason right. why they have that song. You know, there was there was something alluring about just I, what I knew is going to be more more steady sort of climate. You know, um, did you so did in, at Harvard? What did you study there in terms of? Did it connect with uh, your Berkeley? Did were they seamless or did you study different things? Um, so my MTS, they actually now they the way that they organize the program, um, as far as I understand, is a little bit different at HDS. But they had at least then they kind of had areas you could concentrate in, and mine was uh, like Christianity and culture. So I ended up I did some psychology and religion courses that I really liked, um, some feminist theology, so some of that's carried over. Um, but I. It was maybe a little bit of a shift. I, I took a I took a course at HDS in basically like 
19th century theology and I and I really loved that and uh and I really was thinking I I there I had a ton of interest but I I ended up thinking I bet theology might be where I want to go and um and I I it took me that long but I finally found out about theological anthropology as kind of a field and I thought this is really cool um so and I still do that, although uh, I'm I'm also really interested in society. So I have a lot of interests, actually. I've I've heard that. Um, <laughs> so your dissertation kind of fits into this, where it's a theology for a secular age. Yeah, yeah. I, the part that I understand is the Danish cartoon thing. I mean, I don't mm. I didn't read your dissertation. I just saw That's the title for it. So, <laughs> to, so to not bring up a thing that you worried about for probably way too much. Can you give us a brief synopsis of, of, sure. your, of your dissertation? Sure, that's the elevator speech, yeah. So I, I'll give you a brief preface and then a brief synopsis. But right. um, So I had gone to um, Denmark when I was an undergrad, and I spent a semester there studying abroad. And uh, when I was there, took a class on Soren Kierkegaard and fell in love with him and and then got interested in Danish culture. So fast forward then to my time in, in my PhD program and in 2006 when uh, the Danish cartoon controversy really just kind of like blew up. So this is when it was in 2005 in the fall when uh, a Danish newspaper, Jutland's Post, published these 12 images of the Prophet Muhammad. And uh, so they did that, and um, I mean, needless to say, it really it caused a, a crisis both in Denmark and then internationally. And so suddenly, this little country is in the news, and um, so Muslims around the world, of course, not all, but many, were upset that they had printed these these cartoons. So, so I'm in California, and I'm watching the news and seeing all of a sudden the red and white little Danish flag, and you know, all of this protest and all of this stuff, and I I was just so interested you know and saddened that all of this had happened but I just thought what what an interesting thing to explore and so it really started there and so I thought why is this happening there why did they publish the cartoons what does this have to do with Lutheranism they have a state church there you know what is the Muslim population like and I had become interested in Islam too so it was kind of like all these things came together but I was in systematic theology (laughs) I, you have all these webs. I'm just trying to all put it together. So I'm glad you're like, yes, I'm I'm doing all this interreligious dialogue, and I'm doing right. like all, and I'm into Kierkegaard, which is like right. existential philosophy, right. and then you're, <laughs> but then you're bringing right. in social, like, yeah. All right, so it's, maybe this is like a great example of systematic theology, where you're bringing. So there you go. We could go into that. Where mm-hmm. how do you bring it? How you brought mm-hmm. it all together? Yeah. Dissertation. Yeah. No. Uh, all that what you said is great, and. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and I had to, of course, do exactly that when I brought forth my dissertation proposal to our, to both to my advisor, of course, but also to the our department. So what I argued, you know, was that theology is, is of course, it includes thinking about doctrine and, you know, um, beliefs, but that it, it also, um, you know, theology has always been about engaging with the broader society. And like David Tracy, you know, talks about these three publics, and of course, one of them is society and and that what I argued from a methodological point of view is that part of theology actually involves like what I call detective work of kind of discerning you know theological sort of impulses and images that sort of almost lie beneath the surface and so I was thinking because I am interested in in the social the social aspects of theology you know where where in societies do we find theology operative you know and so in the case of Denmark it's what's so interesting is that it's a you know as, as we know it's very secular I mean you know in terms of church attendance but yet there's this um, established state church and so so I was very curious to think about well how do we think about theology in that context you know and then and then what do we do with these questions of diversity and so so I argued that as a systematic theologian part of my job is actually to look at you know, in this case, I was thinking of Denmark, but look at the society and see where there are impulses at play. And, um, and that this is kind of a case study for me. And I think that this sort of method can be applied to other things. So, so what I, I ended up doing actually was to think about uh, the role of imagination in a social context. And so, so the, the idea of, I don't know if you know Charles Taylor's work. Yeah, yeah. it's a huge book. Yeah. I was going to ask, that oh, was my gosh. next question. Yeah. <laughs> Did you use a lot of Char- Charles Taylor? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I I drew upon Charles Taylor. Now here's the thing. Like I actually 
I came up with the idea of the social imagination on my own, and then I read his work and saw that he talked about this idea of the social imaginary. So then I thought, well, this is interesting. This is great. This is great, great resource. So so what I do is to, to think about, yeah, I use his work on secularism and also this framework he, he talks about it that is the social imaginary. So what I, what I do in my project is to explore the social imaginary of Denmark and look at what theological sort of impulses are at play. And then I set all of that, you know, in this context of what's going on with the cartoons. Wow. Yeah. The- Talk about you were talking about like the straight path. Like you used everything from like your entire academic career into like it, the the final zenith of your creation it, of that's, that's impressive. It was ex- well, th- well, thank you. It was uh, hard and um, and you know really an interesting way to bring all this stuff together. And so in my dissertation committee, I had Munir Jiwa, who um, is now a dear friend and, and colleague, but he's the director of the Center for Islamic Studies at the GTU. I had a Scandinavian studies person, a couple of theologians that I wow. worked with. So. Yeah, yeah, and and fortunately, I it was published last year through uh, Bloomsbury, and they're going to reissue it in a in a paperback this coming fall. Congratulations! Thank and you. we'll we'll take the plug. This is great. <laughs> go get it, like right, like yeah, yeah. go read it. It yeah, sounds it sounds fascinating to me. Do you have any advice for any current graduate students who are maybe writing their dissertation who are struggling, mm-hmm. uh, maybe master students who don't know what they're doing in terms of what they want to study? Uh, any advice that you that helped you along the way mm-hmm. to really kind of build where you are now yeah good question I mean I think you know I feel like and in so many ways I was lucky I mean not not lucky that this incident happened and of course there's been so many things since then that are similar but you know but lucky in that I I had I found something that I was so interested in that brought together all of these different threads so I mean I know I know some folks who are writing and they're just not all that into their topic and I guess you know one obvious thing would just be to you know, write on something that you're interested in, like as much as you can, you know, and I think I, I you know, I'm, I'm definitely sort of biased in being interested in contemporary issues. But I think if it at all, you know, even if you're doing something that is, quote, timeless, you know, if you can at all sort of, at least even just think about it in, I don't know, contemporary relevance. I mean, I think that kind of helps too, you know, and I also, on a totally different note, you know, when I was writing, my colleagues and I kept saying, you know, a good dissertation is a done dissertation. So I think one thing to remember is just to try to let go of perfectionism, you know. Right. I think that's the hardest. I think everyone hears that all the time, but it's so hard to It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, it is. Good to know. So let's switch gears to how you became a minister. So you, you came in, it seems like, as a theologian and as an academic, but then all of a sudden this ministry thing mm-hmm. happened to you at uh, GTU, which oddly enough is like, you know, it's Catholic school, Catholic part version of, of uh, Berkeley. So where did, where did all this stem from? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I feel like there's so many different ways of explaining the narrative but of my life, but I guess that's true for everyone. I, I mean, I will say, I, so I didn't, like, quote, grow up, you know, in a, in a church-going household. So, so my, my, par- my parents were kind of spiritual but not religious in a way, and so they kind of let me come, come, you know, do what I wanted in that, in that sense. So as a teenager, I, I stumbled onto the United Methodist Church in my, hometown in Smithville and uh and really liked it and uh so then I decided to get baptized and uh then my my parents and I kind of did that together so um so I did have some kind of active roles as a teenager in that church and I think that's maybe even though I didn't think about it for a while I think that's kind of maybe when I started to my heart started to be kind of open to I don't know. I guess you know leadership or vocational thinking about ministry. But yeah, and then when I was at SMU, I did some some work with the with the chaplain's office. Um, though I didn't necessarily see that as a call. And then, and then when I um, when I went to the GTU, I uh, I had been looking for a church home, and I love the United Methodist Church, but I um, there were a couple things about it that politically I didn't agree with I, I really wanted a de- denomination that was more um, LGBT friendly and yeah so anyway I discovered the United Church of Christ and and I knew that there was a really neat church in Berkeley first congregational church in Berkeley and so I started going there right when I arrived and fell in love with that and had an amazing mentor and friend her name is Pat DeYoung and she's the senior minister there and actually I'm just gonna go to Berkeley not this weekend but the next because she's retiring from her position there but but I became very active there, and uh, I don't know, you know, I just I just started feeling this something tug on my 
heart, you know, and it like it certainly wasn't clear clear. I mean, nobody, you know, I you know, I always think that there's some voice that comes. Maybe it does to some people. I mean, I didn't have that, but something in like is it like a gut reaction or like or something that like or was building up inside or Yeah, I think kind of both. I mean, and I think and I and I started to get more active in that particular both the denomination and that local church, like, you know, doing things or giving the sermons or, you know, um, different kinds of, of leadership positions, liturgical leadership, and loved it. Felt very at home. Just, it felt right to me. And I, so that just kind of kept going. So finally, you know, one day I kind of expressed to, to Pat that I, you know, I like, I, I remember writing an email and it was like, this is a pre, pre, pre discernment sort of thing, you know, but I think I'm ready to at least ask the question about ordained ministry and the more that I learned about the United Church of Christ the more I really felt at, com- uh, at ease and comfortable in that denomination and uh, of course I still am today but but I went through the whole ordination process in Berkeley and uh, so I was doing that parallel to my you know my the quote academic training at was the that, GTU. Was that stressful or was that a lot um, of work? I, I mean it was kind of stressful I think just doing you know all, all those things in an already busy time and I was working and, and you, were you questioning your vocation as a theologian to be a professor you know what's interesting is no and I so the GTU is a yeah, it's a consortium of schools so yeah several of them are Roman Catholic my my advisor is um, George Greiner is at the Jesuit school but then we've got Pacific School of Religion is another one and it's it's United uh, Church of Christ and um, United or I'm sorry um, the uh, United Methodist so the, there's different groups there Interestingly, I didn't, I never felt really the pull between, you know, sort of academic teaching and research and ministry. I mean, I definitely felt felt them as being kind of, I don't know, well, of course different, but I I didn't feel a conflict. No, it was really interesting. I I didn't know what I was going to do. So you, so you became how... What was the process for becoming a minister? Did it take like a couple of years or like? Yeah, if, if uh, folks know about uh, the United Church of Christ, it's a it's very a uh, non hierarchical denomination. So we we love covenant. Uh, we love um, being in community. You really there's a lot of focus on the local church. So the um, so there's a, a local church which is a part of an association which is then a part of a conference. And so you enter officially into care with your local church and then you're you do that for a year or so what, um, what, what's care you yeah good question um so uh it's it's kind of like how do i describe it it's a it's formally being in relationship um as you are discerning your call to ministry okay. so what it means is that basically you have you have a committee that meets with you at the local church so like uh, First Congregational Church of Berkeley, like they have a um, discernment committee. So, you know, I sort of entered into the, the process and introduced myself and, and everything and then um, met with them periodically. And then um, so in turn, then I check in with them and then they give opportunities for discernment, whatever that might mean. And then after you do that for like about a year or so, then you formally do the same thing, but you do it with, with the association, which is just a larger body. Oh, yeah. Nice. And um, yeah. And then, and then you continue on with that. And most people are in their <laughs> MDiv programs while they're doing it. And of course I was not. So I was like kind of this weirdo a little bit, but then you're, you're assigned kind of a, almost like a spiritual director or someone that you meet with, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually you, you write an ordination paper you you know do yeah a lot of different of course testing and all that kind of stuff yeah and then you have kind of a a meeting where they an ecclesiastical council is what we call it which sounds scary but it's not um yeah that sounds uh intimidating medieval yes (laughs) medieval (laughs) and so did you finish that whole process of becoming a minister as well as your at, with PhD at the same time? Almost. So I, I did. I, I basically did. I, I basically finished the whole the ordination process, but I moved here in 2010 in order to start the job. And actually, I was not yet finished with my PhD. So um, seems to be a recurring theme with the people they yeah, hire. I know, at least uh, in the religious studies department, I right. think. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, I was so lucky and so grateful. And uh, and that year was really stressful, too, because, of course, I was teaching full time for, for the first time and finishing a Ph.D. and then, you know, kind of wrapping up the ordination process, too. But but I 
Uh, yeah, but so I, I moved and then actually I was not ordained until about a year later. So I went back to California for that. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. You thought you were busy now. You were busy. Look at, I know. It's you're kind, good it's now. Kind of a, yeah, I know. You're, yeah, you're probably right. It's, yeah, it's just because the list of things that I, you know, I'm trying to get the time to play my euphonium and, you know, that's, that's no, kind of totally, hard to totally get it. Any advice? Uh, I'm just going to keep, I, I always ask like uh, for advice or wisdom. I think it's a great thing. When, if someone's on the job market and they just finished their dissertation or they're like mm-hmm. maybe in their fifth year, sixth year, just give us your experience of yeah. what things worked, what didn't. Like, obviously, luck is a huge factor, but uh, I mean, I use that in the sense to say, like, it's not that you're just lucky, but like you worked hard, but you still need some things to, to come together. Mm-hmm. What explain your experience of being on the job market and how not to not just that it was stressful, but like what was helpful, what was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, of course, it's about your qualifications and how hard you work, but but it is, but part of it is about being in the right place at the right time or, you know, things like that too, just the stars kind of lining up. But I apply, I was on the market a couple different times, and of course, I wasn't yet finished with the with the PhD, but I kind of wanted to put my hat out there and then get some practice doing it and, and applied for tons of jobs. I mean, every, you know, everything from public our research one schools to private schools, church schools. So you weren't looking for anything in particular. You just... Well, I was, I mean, I, I, I was kind of, I mean, I, and in fact, it's, it's pretty much St. Edwards. I mean, what I really wanted was a small liberal arts school, preferably one that was religiously affiliated and not a re- I didn't, I didn't, it was hard for me to imagine myself at a big research school just because I, for one thing, I, I knew that the the teaching and study of religion would be would be different, you know, and I also knew that I would hopefully be ordained. And I, although I didn't know how in the world I was going to combine these different things, I, I knew that it would be harder, you know, if I were to state school. So I definitely had preferences, but you know, I mean, one of the things they say, and I would too, is just to cast your net wide. I mean, um, and, and sometimes you never know what, of course, what might come or what you might like. I mean, I, I tell my students that a lot too. Just. You know, you may, we imagine certain things, but I mean, we can't yet imagine or envision every possibility or what we might like once we're in it. Did you learn a lot of skills about interviewing or what, what to, what to add to your CV or what's the things that Mm -hmm. stood out? Yeah, I did. And I also tailored, I mean, I, because I did have these different categories of schools, you know, I mean, on the you know, on the state, big research schools, I didn't talk about my, you know, ministerial calling. Um, yeah, I mean, because I, you know, it's like I figured that they they either weren't interested or might not be a good thing. But then I thought a lot about that too, right? Because right. like, how do you be a? It does, it raises a lot of questions about identity. Like, how how who's the self you want to be? You know, and how much do you reflect that? And do you want to be at an institution where you feel like you can't be your full out, self? You yeah. know, and yeah, your full self. And you know, that was kind of interesting. So I definitely learned that. I mean, and I yeah, and I learned about interviewing and about talking about my dissertation and my work. I think, I don't know what I, what I, I think one thing that I've learned doing, being on both sides of it is that just sort of being a well-rounded human being is a a good thing. (laughs) But I, I mean, I think, I know it depends on the institution, but my experience here anyway is that, you know, being a person that can do a lot of different things, not perfectly or all things, but, you know, fairly well to have a, a number of interests is a good thing. I mean, I think potentially if you if you really want to go into really hardcore research, you want to be more focused, but I don't know. And I, I have a, I'm, I'm pretty well-rounded and I think that that helped. And I think being able to talk about it helped. That's good. Yeah. Let's, let's kind of move into being here at St. Ed's. Did you envision being a, kind of a minister on campus? I know you do uh, certain ecclesial things. I call them ecclesial things as a Catholic. That's yeah. weird. But like you do things like the well, which is like a, an ecumenical service for mm-hmm. everyone on campus, but you're also, you know, teaching a full load and other things. How do you, how do you kind of, I guess my question would be, how do you balance the two mm-hmm. and, and where do you see your role in those at St. Ed's? Yeah, good questions too. Um, and that's, oh gosh, it's, I mean, continually the search for balance, which of course we all are on. And so I think, you know, and I see, you know, sort of, yeah, here at St. Ed's, it's like, I see my, I've got the ministerial pastoral element. I've got the research and writing element, you know, and, and, and teaching. And then of course other stuff. Right. And so it's, it's always, it's always hard. I, yeah, for our campus ministry program, I do, um, I work with James Puglisi who does interfaith and ecumenical programming. And so 
So yeah, last year we had the the well. This year I put it I put it on hiatus for this year because I'm trying to figure out what students want, <laughs> what they need, and how best to communicate that to them. And and I haven't quite figured it out yet. But I think next fall I'm going to start that again. But we also have Taizé services, so I've started that. We've done that this year. Do other things like I'm helping to uh, lead a women's retreat this weekend. So it's uh, it it definitely. It definitely is hard, but I, I will say that the longer I've been here, at least in terms of vocation, it just seems like things are, they come together. Like, I feel pretty comfortable, I think, actually, you know, kind of doing both. And St. Ed's allows me to do that, which is amazing. And that's a, that brings up another question. Going to a Catholic school, mm-hmm. which is, was that intimidating to you? Or like, was that like, or you're like, oh, you know, I'm not really into, in, in the Catholic tradition as a minister, are they going to let me do be minister right. as well as, you know, you're... You're, you're in a theology slash religious studies program that, it, you know, they all came from, like, Catholic backgrounds mm-hmm. in, in a way. So, like, was – were you coming in, were you kind of uh, treading water a little bit and being like, I don't know if where I fit? Like, can you offer some – yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting too. And I, I, I had, you know, I, I, <laughs> some of my great friends were Catholics before, before, and you know, I was at the Jesuit school doing some stuff too. And so, you know, I mean, part of it was certainly comfortable to me, but I also didn't know. I mean, when I interviewed for the job, I wasn't sure. And I, when I interviewed for St. Ed's, I, I made for whatever reason, I really made it a point to kind of be out about my UCC ness and also about my ordination. And so, in my interview at the American Academy of Religion. I guess this would have been like 2008 or something. Richard Bouch and Ed Shirley were there interviewing me. And I remember Ed was mentioning, he was really excited that I was UCC. And, and of course, was talking about that, as you can imagine. And, um, and you know, I mean, they were asking me about the Congregation of Holy Cross, which I di- hadn't known before. But the more I learned about it, the more I thought it was really cool. But they seemed to be they were welcoming and interested and not only just okay with my ordination, but actually, you know, like excited about it. Um, And you feel like that translated into like the whole university is kind of that way of different experiences and different roles. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's my experience, you know, I mean, in what a way, like, so I was installed here. That's the word that we use in my (laughs) four way covenant for, for my UCC ordination as ecumenical minister which means I, I donate a uh, number of hours a week to that and uh and it happened in the chapel and you know father peter was was there and oh, supported so you're, so and like they, they 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 like you said they installed you into this whole like saint ed so you you are a minister for saint ed's on campus yeah yeah i mean, I mean i'm kind of in a funny position because it's like i'm not uh, you know, I'm not paid for that. I'm a full-time right. tenure track professor, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I technically, it's a sort of service position, but, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, um, it's a, it's a thing. And, um, and everybody has been really supportive of that. So, I mean, I, it's really ideal in so many ways. That's right. Yeah. One question I want to ask about your teaching and the teachers are uh, always, the professors always been great here. And it might be an odd question to ask, but how do you communicate to undergrads that theology or religious studies is worth their time? Mm-hmm. And I only say that I, w- I was taught high school for three years and just so many, so many times it came up that we kind of almost live in like a post church world to a lot of people. Yeah. And, and if they may be forced to take a class, I don't, and I don't know if you have these students where, it's, where you, how do you explain that theology still matters? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting thing, and I'll say, I'll preface it too, with just, you know, all the conversations that are going on, especially in the U.S., about the value, one, of, of um, higher education, two, the value of a liberal arts education, three, the humanities, right? you know? And so, I mean, I think that the humanities in a lot of ways are, I hate to use this language, but like under attack. And so, of course, you know, religious studies and theology are right there. But I, I talk to my students about it in my classes, and I know that most of them, you know, a lot of my classes are general education, and they're, so they're taking it, you know, they have some degree of choice, but often they're taking it for requirement because they have to. And, and so, you know, at the beginning of the semester, I have a conversation with them about, like, why, why this class? Like, why does it matter, you know? And, and so we talk about current events and, you know, how it is, it's so difficult, you know, to think about politics, economics, I mean, all of these different areas without thinking about religion in some way. And then in my classes where I specifically do theology, Christian theology, then, 
I just sort of stress over and over that, you know, I mean, for one thing, theology is something that, uh, at least theoretically, we, we all engage in, in in some way, you know, because it's like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, if they're not Christian, I certainly don't want to push anything on them at all. But at the same time, I sort of help us to, to see that we all ask questions that are valuable and that they're, they're so important. And so, I mean, you know, these are the existential questions about, like, what does it mean to be human? And, and sometimes when we're talking about life and death, you know, I say, you know, like, you realize we're all going to die. Right, right. Silence. I, I think uh, a lot of ways I we all we're all human. We all struggle for meaning. We all, and, and religion in a lot of ways is more about being human mm-hmm. than about God. Right. And right, right. There's a whole theological conversation going into that. Yeah. I, I have a confession to make. So I checked rate my professors because I used to do that in undergrad. And I'm not too far removed from undergrad. To play, uh, I checked your your, your oh, rating. No. I've never looked at do it. You, do you know? Do you think you know what it is? No. Father Lou was an on in there, so I couldn't couldn't ask this question. I don't even know how they rate it. Oh, it's like, like they have uh, a. I think it's ah! like it's out of date now because it was like in vogue before, but now people just use like social media. Yeah. It's like accuracy, like easiness or hardness, or whatever. And you you have a very high score, and they gave you a pepper. <laughs> Which means you're hot, all right? Like, which means they're like, take her. And, like, all, oh, that's funny. and so that's going to lead to my question. What makes you such a great, yeah. like a great teacher, a great professor? What do you think? Like, oh, thanks. You know, I. And I, perhaps I could preface it. What, what, what do you think makes a good professor? Yeah, you know, right. So yeah, less I like about that. you. I like that question. Sorry, I, no, no, no. It's totally fine. Okay. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing thinking about oneself. I think enthusiasm and passion for what one is teaching is such a huge thing. And, you know, it's not it's not that I'm every day that I go to class, like, you know, jumping around. But, I mean, I, I love my field and I love the questions and I think and – I'm, and I'm excited to talk about them. And so I think – independent of me but i i know that the the many of the professors that i've had that have really impacted me i can see that they love what they do and uh and that sense of love and passion just is you know it, it that's how dr barnard my my advisor was you just know? just giving off that energy i think and yeah i think i think that that's a huge contagious. part of it it is contagious yeah contagious i think and i also think that challenging I mean I think being a good professor means being it means challenging students you know and for the professor to be challenged too right I mean it's a two-way street so but challenging the students just to you know just to think and to consider and to open and imagine just a little bit more and you know I think just to try to have different lenses and to be a little uncomfortable you know but yet at the same time I think a, a good professor respects her students and what they bring to the classroom as a uh, professor who's still early in her career or like who has only done you've been three this four my, uh, this is my fifth year so fifth it's, year. Still early. it's still so early. so like you've, you've you've only been teaching or been a professor for like five years at, at st ed's what have you learned over the years that you did like you kind of maybe change in your pedagogy that mm-hmm. you could offer as like advice for mm-hmm. new for new professors saying like yeah. hey like i tried this or i've learned that you should do this. What are some things that you could offer mm-hmm. for new professors out there? Yeah, that's a good question too. I think I, I mean, I, yeah, I had taught a few graduate classes, master's classes at the GTU. But aside from that, I had not taught, I hadn't taught any undergraduates um, and I had not taught full time. So having the teaching load and the pop student population that I did was, it was a huge shift for me. And, and I think being, you know, not that I'm young, young, but, but, you know, like, well, I'm about to be 38, but I, you know, being, being youngish and being a woman, I, you know, I had a huge, I wouldn't say a huge confidence issue, but I, I, I definitely lacked confidence in the classroom in the beginning. And, and it's something I still struggle with, but I think I know some men struggle with this too, but I know other women professors, especially early on. And, you know, I think that there can be reticence to claim one's voice and sort of a authority in the classroom and so I think over the years I've gotten better at being able to respect the students where they're coming from all of that and at the same time say okay well here I am I'm wearing the hat of the professor you know and I have I have things to say that are helpful and questions to ask that are good ones and I need to go with that you know and I also think in the beginning and I'm still working on it but 
you know, being able to say, I don't know, and in general in life, right, this is a thing, but being able to say, I don't know, to a question, I mean, it felt so intimidating at first, but I'm better at being able to do that now. Great. Yeah. So, you know, saying like, that's a great question. I do not know the answer to that. That is not my area or I'm not up to date on that. But like, let's think about this together. What's your voice in the classroom? What's my voice? In the classroom? I know that's like a terrible question to ask because it's like, how do you define it? But I, I, you said like you find you find your voice. What's your voice? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. Good one. What is my voice? I think that. It's a, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that my voice is one that that at least this is the way that I see it is that it 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 seeks to maybe challenge some of the givens that we have. I think especially about religion and especially about Christianity. And so, you know, I teach a class on feminist theology, but I even try to bring some of that into my other classes and say you know, the, here are some ways that, that traditionally we've thought about God, but guess what? These are not the only ways. And, you know, you can, you can do what you want, but like my voice, I think, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe a gift that I bring, I don't know, is, is to provide some options, you know, for students and to say, hey, wait a minute. I mean, I'm very interested in the idea of imagination, as you might have guessed, it's kind of a theme. And so I'm, I'm very much... I think a professor that encourages my students to imagine beyond what they have thought. And so I think partially my voice is that. Just to clarify, I, I think I have an understanding of what you mean by imagination, but just for kicks, mm. what do you, when you say imagination, what, how do you define yeah, it? Yeah, that's a good question too. And it's in, I got a, a chapter in my, in my book about it too. So. Great. <laughs> no, no, I'm just laughing. I'm just kidding. So, I mean, yeah, the imagination, obviously, you know, we, we, we often think about fantasy, you know, the unreal, and that's one way to think about it. But I tend to think of imagination as sort of actually kind of in two ways. I mean, w- one thing is that it, it, in a way, I think imagination is kind of like perception in that it allows us to sort of actually see see things more clearly. And then the other piece of it is sort of like holding that up and then being able to imagine also what could be. I mean, this is very theological. You know, it's kind of the already and not yet, but, and I can't help but think of that way. So imagination is not, of course, it is something that has to do with creating possibilities that we don't yet know, but it draws from our what we have, the knowledge that we have. So in the classroom, when you're teaching, this is something you try to get other students to resonate with. Yeah. It's something you're trying to bring, bring upon. Okay. Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes, that, that's a great, I think that's a great pedagogy in a way that gives them to maybe go beyond their own experience, maybe their own, so their, their own biases towards mm-hmm. certain yeah, ideas sure, exactly. and, and yep. imagine ways yep. in which they have it before. Yep. Yep. And I, and and me too, you know. I mean, they they. I mean, in the best situation, we're doing this for for one another, you right. know. That's great. So let's talk about research. I know Saint Anne's is a really teaching heavy school, and it's great for that. Is there anything you're researching on now? Uh, I mean, I know mm-hmm. your, your dissertation just got pu- uh, published, so you might be waiting in the wings for something else. Anything that you're kind of working on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, there is. Yeah, and you're, yeah, I mean, it's really it's really hard to to do research and and real kind of. In-depth when, scholarship during the year. Do you find uh, like a every, like once a week where you're writing or? Mm, I wish I could say that. No, I mean okay. um, it's really summers. It's really okay, summers. summers. Sometimes breaks. If I have a deadline, a publishing deadline, then I'm able to kind of squeeze thing, things in. I th- what the, I think the big challenge is that at least for me and and maybe in the future I can get better at doing it in different ways. But I need chunks of time and and to do like actual research in libraries and reading just it necessitates for me periods of time. But um, but I've been really grateful and lucky that in the last couple summers I've gotten uh, grants from St. Ed's to do travel and research. Wow. Yeah, and I'm, I've got one for this coming summer. So, so one area it's it's interesting because it's on the one hand it sounds like it's totally not connected. On the other hand, it's very much connected to previous stuff. But I've gotten interested in trauma theory and theology in the last few years, and and because mm. I'm interested in not just individuals but societies, I've I've gotten interested in the question of like. W- Theologically, you know, what sort of what happens when a community experiences a trauma, you know, so, I mean, it could be anything from like a natural disaster to terrorism, etc. But, but anyway, in the last, let's see, it was in 2011, when Norway, Anders Breivik, Norwegian, ethnic Norwegian, um, shot like 75 young people and detonated a bomb in downtown Oslo. And, uh, and the reason he did it, of course, was that he said he was angry at the liberal political party in Norway because of their hospitality toward Muslims. 
So I was, um, this is another sort of crisis happening in Scandinavia and which I was interested in. And, and so I, w- I wanted to know more about it. And as I started to research it, I, I thought it would be great to actually go to Oslo and go to Norway. And that's what I've done. And um, in the course of that, <laughs> I've gotten interested in the way that the way that that trauma has or has not affected kind of the national identity, but also how they're remembering that. Right. Fascinating. I, I don't know if you, 9-11 like just comes to my mind yeah, and like right. how mm-hmm. like we have, we've all kind of mourned through that and how it stayed in our imagination yep. or like even in our, just our, whatever you want to call it, our psyche or our, our, our existence as Americans. I'd be absolutely fascinated where you, where you go with that. And I'm excited to see what you're going to do. Thank you. So that'd be good to, to, to read. Couple things I want to do before we if we, we go to the five questions. Two part thing. First part: any major like theological figures or um, even ministers that have really influenced your life and vocation besides your undergrad professor, who you said like was the reason why you got into right, theology. right. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, and I, um, yeah, I mean, he was fantastic. I also had, you know, uh, the whole religious studies faculty at SMU was fantastic. Um, a very different place than from St. Ed's. You know, not. I have a maybe a more intimate relationship with my students than I did with my professors, but they were just they were all fantastic. So you know, certainly other other people there. Um, I had at at uh, Harvard Divinity School. I had a woman who taught several courses on on psychology who was just fantastic, and she really. I, I was already interested in, in Kierkegaard, and uh, and she kind of helped me to explore that. Who else would I say? Yep. Certainly my pastor that I mentioned earlier has been a huge figure for me. And, and, well, and, and you know, Kierkegaard, obviously. Yeah, right, right like, in terms of like historical. So like yeah, you can even sure. say like like theologians. Or, so mm-hmm. the, besides Kierkegaard, who's some other people that you gravitate towards? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I um, I love the 19th century. Actually, like Schleiermacher, I don't know if you've read Schleiermacher, that, right? oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, uh, one of my professors in, in undergrad, Michael Himes, like big Schleiermacher fan, uh-huh, so I learned yeah. all about him. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. So definitely kind of 19th century figures. And then, you know, I love the 20th century, love modernity. So it's interesting, all these, these, these men, dead white men, but feminist that I am. I know, exactly, right, yeah. Uh, Tellick is one of my favorites. So I, um, and he, you know, certainly things to critique about him, but but I really love his sort of existential orientation. The idea of God as the ground of being, you know, really affected me. And then, you know, and then I would certainly say the uh, feminist, womanist, mujerista theologians that, you know, continue to prompt me to think deeply about everything from language to experience. Great. Uh, any particular text in general that you feel like, uh, I guess it could be Kierkegaard, that has really influenced your entire scholarship? Yeah, good question. That you could recommend? Right, that I could recommend. <laughs> yeah, boy, there's like, there's so many to choose from. Yeah, you know, I would say, what would I say? Yeah, Kierkegaard. I mean, in terms of readability, I don't. I don't know how much I would say for that, but I. I will say that. Don't so worry about readability. You don't I, worry about readability. Okay. Should, well, I'll give you two. I'll, I know I'll it's Sophie's choice, but you're fine. <laughs> just right. the one that you you know that like. It's yeah. Just like, in- well, I will. I will say so. So Kierkegaard's um, "Sickness Unto Death" was the text that I read as an undergraduate that got me really hooked, and and it's. I mean, so much of it is about like, what does it mean to be a self? I mean, that's really, you know, that's, that's really the question. And so that just really propelled me into asking that of my, myself. And then of just thinking about that theologically, like, what does it mean to be a self? And what does it mean to be in relationship with other selves? And then what does it mean to be in relationship with God? And so I recommend that as difficult and weird as it is. Great. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are all great uh, questions that I think anyone can get Yeah, to, so. I do too. So now we get, this is like a thing we're trying to do, the five kind of final questions. A lot of podcasts, a lot of radio does this. So these are less serious questions that you don't have to be too crazy about, but feel free to answer in any way you can. They're fun. The first question I would like to ask is, what's your favorite or least favorite liturgical song? <laughs> and this will be different for you because for Catholics, we all kind of have these like similar things right. we just listen to. So I'm actually I'm interested in your tradition with what are some, what's your like your least or your favorite? It doesn't matter which one you want to choose. Right, right, right. Liturgical song. Oh, yeah, that's so, so one of my, so I guess just in terms of like hymns. Well, oh, this is funny. So I love in, uh, in our church service, we, we switch up the doxology. So after we do the, the, uh, the offering, we'll do some sort of doxology, but, and I dare not sing <laughs> on air, 
But I, for one thing, I know this is not your question, actually, but I love always singing that doxology, doxology, even no matter what it is, actually. That counts. That, yeah, but the praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yeah, um, that's beautiful. I, it's so simple. And it, I tell you every time, like it, it, I get goosebumps and I just, I feel so moved. That's so, great. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> okay. Um, second question, current favorite television show. Oh, current favorite television show. Okay, I mean, I'm, oh God, I'm so, I'm so horrible because I'm not, I'm not really watching. Good, no, really no, watch I, TV very much. But in terms of a favorite TV show, what would I say at the very moment? Okay, well, I just watched two episodes, two episodes of the Kimmy thing. Oh, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, yes, the new I, Tina Fey show. Yes, exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to say that's my favorite one, but okay. I will say that's the most recent thing so that, I, that I've seen. And that's fine if you don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> it's just like I. I I know a lot of people like TV is such a great right. great thing right now, and there's a lot of great series I, and yes. stuff like that. I will so. say, I will say, just for the record, that my uh, favorite genre is Scandinavian crime shows. Oh my God. So there's a so if you've heard of The Killing, okay. Well, anyway, it's Danish, of course. And great, the, this, the, people can look this up. Yeah, this yeah, they made it. They made an American version of it, but the the Danish version is absolutely fantastic. Okay, good. <laughs> I I would have never have guessed like uh, we're getting a Scandinavian the thriller. <laughs> what profession would you have attempted or like to attempt if you didn't choose uh, academia or ministry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. First thing that I'm sure does lots of things, but the first thing that comes to mind is journalism. I love to write. I love to learn about people. I love to travel. So I, that's always been. Yeah, and you're kind of doing that in your own way. Yeah, which is, I know. So you're cheating. You're I doing am everything. Kind of cheating. That's Stop why I'm it. so tired and busy. <laughs> What team are you on? Are you on Team Coffee or Team Tea? Oh, that's a good, good one. Yeah. All right. So I was, I you know, I vacillate. And earlier, if you would have asked me in like say February, I would have said Tea. Uh, right now, you can see that it's Team Coffee. Oh, you moved over to the other side. Well, I was Coffee, and then I was trying to kind of do better, and then it was Tea, and now I'm back to Coffee. But ask me again. <laughs> july <laughs> so yeah well it's hotter in texas so tea kind of makes yeah. a little bit more sense well iced yeah. coffee is great here though. yeah so totally, they don't yeah, have right. cold, they don't have cold brew in uh chicago a lot but starbucks just came out with their new thing with cold brew so as a texan who was in chicago yeah. i'm like mm-hmm. oh now i can get cold brew all year round mm-hmm. yeah absolutely final question what should the title of your biography be oh. or should what yeah um what should the title of your biography uh be yeah okay so someone else is writing this Someone else is writing a biography of my life. Is that right? What would you like it to? Yeah. What would you like it to be? Oh gosh. Okay. Something that has living in it. Living. I don't know. That this is. I don't live. Okay. This, this is why I love. Like I, this is why I love ending on this because it's like you have to. We just talked about a lot of things in your life that mattered I, and are great, and yeah. now you're like, all right, what's the title of it? Yeah. Gosh, that's such a great question. <laughs> I okay. What comes to my mind is living out loud. Great title. This is a great title. Really? Don't get living out loud, yeah. right? Who wouldn't want That's, to read that? Like, I don't it's know. like, what does that yeah. mean? Then yeah, it's yeah. short, and I think yeah. you could really develop that. Yeah. See, there you go. Okay, well, thanks. And it's Nailed fitting it. with the podcast. There you go. Yep. So, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been great. Great conversation. Have a great rest of the semester, and uh, good luck with the research and the travel. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thanks. The Daily Theology Podcast is produced bi-weekly by dailytheology.org. Daily Theology is a Catholic blog that pursues faith-seeking understanding in everyday life. You can find us online at dailytheology.org, on Facebook at Daily Theology, or on Twitter at Daily Theo. 